Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 104 of the Essendon People podcast, our 2023 Christmas wish list. So, Brendan, this is probably one of our favourite episodes, I think, each year to do. And I think last year we actually missed doing it due to some, due to some circumstances of my end. But um, good to be back and good to uh, kind of try and visualise some things and, and fill our minds with hope around Essendon as we enter the next cycle of the, of the Essendon clock. I think hope is the... Uh... Is the primary word there. That's why the wish list is good. This is what we're hoping is going to happen next year. It's all fun and positive. We we don't actually have any results to market against and it's often, uh, yeah, it's not positive. <laughs> so for those that haven't heard this episode in, in previous years, so um, Brendan and I have each come up with five wish list items each uh, that don't, don't have to relate to on-field necessarily. It doesn't have to relate to a specific player. It can be anything re- relating to the club. So we've both come up with five wish list items and we're going to alternate now and go through those and just have stop for a bit of a chat on each one as well. So let's kick off with number one, Brendan, your one. So, yeah, the f- my one is the senior leaders are going to step up and become all-Australian-level players. So I'm talking about... Ridley and McGrath down back, uh, Parrish and Shield in the middle, and Stringer and Wright up forward there. I think um, at least two of those in Stringer and Shield, and well, three in Parrish, have been all Australians before. Uh, they're capable of getting back to that level. Uh, Ridley uh, was in a squad uh, previously, but didn't make the side, and McGrath and Wright haven't been, even made a squad. So you think that. All those blokes playing at their best are capable of being an all-Australian player. And if we can get, you know, two in each part of the ground to play at that level, I think that's going to be a real bonus for us going forward. I think especially uh, Jordan Ridley. I think he's the one. If he can play that intercepting role, kind of when he was, he won the best and fairest 21, he really stood out as this is a bloke that could be the best player in the competition in his particular position, yeah. right? And there's, there's no question of that. And I think him and McGrath, we often talk about he could be the best lockdown small pocket player. So I think, yeah, the back line, especially for Essendon, has been an issue over a long time. So our focus is probably naturally drawn to that. But, yeah, um, Ridley and McGrath are the two that I really want to focus on. It's often an indicator of a strong club and a strong team, isn't it? If you're getting all Australian selections across multiple lines, it's it's a generally a good indicator of uh, which direction you're heading in. So uh, I'd definitely like to see that one come to fruition. My one, the first one for me here is that the draft class of 2020 asserts themselves. So I'm talking about... Cox, Perkins and Reed. So all of them are now 21 years of age coming into their fourth season. Perkins uh, obviously has probably been the most successful so far of that. He's played the 62 games. Reed's played just eight games and Cox has played 33 games. So I think Perko's been good you know, since since we drafted him. Cox was really good in that first season and then has had some injury concerns and I think also some just some confidence concerns as well. Like he's he's a good player and he's got good skills and I think in his second season he was reluctant 
to use the ball by foot for some reason, and I think his confidence got a bit damaged. So hopefully he's past that. And then Zach Reed, obviously we know, has just had injury concerns. The games that he have played have been generally pretty good, but um, just concerns. So I guess, yeah, all now 21 um, coming into that stage where we want them to be regular starters. Uh, obviously you can't nail all your draft picks, but if we get those three that were all top 10s in that one year, that would be a huge step forward for us. So I think there's still still potential for that, for that trio to really be permanent fixtures in our side. And I hope that that's something that can can kind of um, showcase itself this year. Yeah, so I think Reid, the natural position for him is centre-half back. You think uh, him with a combination of Ben Mackay, both 200 centimetre plus, different types. Mackay can take more of the gorillas. Reid can use his height and intercept kicking makes sense. But but Perkins and Cox, they've been played in a couple of positions, Mark. Where do you envisage those two playing their best footy? I ultimately want to see Perkins go through the middle. I think I think his talents are a little bit wasted at times up forward. I think fair enough if we were a strong side and there, there was plenty of supply down there, but I think we're starving him of opportunities. Um, so I think I want to see Perkins still go in the midfield. I know we're pretty stacked in there and it maybe it's hard to break in, but I think we need to give him that opportunity. With Cox, I know that Cox sort of started on a wing and uh, I know that that maybe wasn't always going to be the the end goal for Cox but maybe we need to try and squeeze him back onto a wing just to get some confidence and some run back but maybe he can be we talked in a previous episode that he maybe is not the key position to play player despite his height but maybe he can be a really good you know halfback flanker that gives us a bit of run and, and a bit of intercepting power across halfback you know so whether that starts as you know going back to the wing just to get his confidence back and then maybe slowing back to halfback I know that that's a hard back line to break into but you can only give it your best shot. I can't see anywhere else kind of working. So he, he said from day one when he got drafted that, you know, he wanted to play like centre-half back. So maybe it's not centre-half back to start with, but maybe half-back's a good option. Oh, I agree with you there. So um, my fo- if focus on guys we've drafted, my focus is going to be guys that we've brought in. So in the past two years, we've brought in six senior players. Uh, 2022 was Setterfield and Wiedemann. Uh, this year's McKay, Gresham, Dersmer and uh, Goldstein. Goldie's at the end of the career, so he's in a different category there. But I guess with those five younger guys, I want to see those guys essentially finish top 10 in the best and fairest. Yeah, so Setterfield's 25, Wiedemann's 26, McKay's 25, Gresham's 26 and Dersmer's 23. So they're all in that prime age to now really blossom, develop, come on. I thought Setterfield, when he came to the side last year, was really important for us. I know in the uh, in the Heath Hocking Medal, our votes that we give every week, I think he was, you know, top five pretty much at, at the halfway mark there. And then he obviously got injured and he couldn't compete. But I think not only his level of performance, but the role that he plays at that bigger body defensive midfield, I think is really, really important. We still desperately need a centre-half forward there. And Wiedemann, you know, there's a spot for him to grab, whether or not he does it or not is up to him. Mackay we've brought in as that key defender. Gresham, whilst he's notionally, we all think he's going to be a small forward, it'll be interesting to see how much time he spends up to ground because I think that is something they're going to want to do with him to rotate him, to get him his pace in his kicking. And then Dersma, can he get back to the player that he was projecting to be at Port Adelaide? You look at that draft, that talked about Rosie and Butters were the other two that were in that draft, you know, One's now captain and signed an eight-year deal, and the other one's a, 
legitimate all Australian level player. So hopefully Dersma coming to the Bombers, we've got a spot on the wing. He can really develop and maybe kick a few goals. What, what, speaking of goals, we'll talk about Gresham and Dersma here. What, what are you hoping to get out of them? And Wiedemann as well, if he's playing forward. Nice segue. So, my, yeah, my item here was uh, that a small forward kicks 35-plus goals for the season. So, um, yeah, you've dovetailed into that nicely. So, I, th- I think as well that – so, we just quickly go through the players who would fall into that category. So, we've got Menzi, Gresham, Guelphie, the, the Davy Twins, and Wanganine are probably the, the ones that fall into that small forward category. So, we start with Menzi. He had a season-best 23 goals uh, this year. So, only need to find another dozen and, and he ticks that box. Um, initially, when I was writing this one down, I didn't really see Menzi as being that player, but then I sort of thought afterwards, after you wrote down th- that note, why not? Why can't he find another 12 goals? You know, that was a breakout season for him. If he can go up another notch again, then maybe he does become that player. I quite like Jai Menzi and he, he works hard for his results. So um, I, I don't think we can deny him of, of that potential. Jade Gresham, obviously we know what he's what he's done in the past uh, at St Kilda, then had the Achilles injury and then played in some different roles since. So his season best was 35 goals in 2018. Then he kicked 30 goals in 2017. And last year he kicked 21 goals, obviously playing a few different roles. So so he's done it before. He has kicked 35 goals before. So he's definitely a candidate to be able to do that. Guelphie, his season best was 17 goals in 2022. I think plays a little bit of a different role. He's a little bit more of a defensive kind of style forward. So I, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be the one that, that does that unless there's a role change. The Davy Twins, I think, still still obviously developing, particularly Jaden, who hasn't debuted yet. Uh, Elwin Davy, you know, his best spot is still probably to be determined a bit. And I think those those guys are going to take a little bit of time, similar to Tex Wanganine. You know, he's played some games, but needs a bit more development. So I think, I think the reason I wrote this down was because to be a good team, you have to have kind of good contributors across all roles. And the small forward role is one that with Tipper, you know, um, going through the twilight of his career over the last couple of years and now retiring, uh, I think that, that that person needs to be, you know, someone else needs to step up into that role. And it's a really important role. If you look at good good teams across the years, there's always a, a, a small forward who stands out as uh, annoying for opposition and uh, a re- really big contributor for the team. So someone needs to step into that role and I've, I've got my eye on Menzi or Gresham, I think. Well, I agree with you with those two in particular and I don't see the fact that maybe they might not get 35 goals, but they should at least be getting a goal a game. That's what Menzi, Menzi accomplished last year. It's kind of what Gresham did as well. So coming in, you'd be hoping at least 40 goals from those two plus whatever else you can get on top of it there. I agree with Davey Alwyn in terms of what's his best position. Is he going to be more of a flanker, pushing up onto a wing, can get inside 50 as opposed to his brother who looks like he's going to be a more of a classical small forward. And then Tex Wanganeng is obviously he's injured. He's got the navicular, which he's had issues with in the past. Uh, at VFL level, he did show a lot of promise when they kind of switched him to halfback and on a wing. So maybe that's more... His role. He's got a bit of height and he's, got, he's a strong tackler. So, And as we talked about in a previous episode, we do kind of need a bit more out of those medium-small defenders with a bit of run and dash. So potentially that's a spot for him there. But it's good to see a list where we've got six potential options at small forward because I think a couple of years ago we had Guelphie and that was it. <laughs> yeah. 
It was Guelphie or Tipper. Basically, that was the end of the story. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next one, which is just highlighting some blokes that we really want to be started becoming starting 18 players, and that's Caldwell, Hobbs and Jones. Now, people might say, oh, Caldwell and Hobbs are already starting 18, but, I mean, when you go to pick your team, how many people have the starting on-ball division has Caldwell and Hobbs in it, you know? I think most people have Merritt or Parrish or Setterfield, Shield. These but, guys might be coming off the bench or something. Yeah, you know, in those kind lineups, of. Because yeah. in the lineup currently, you probably think Caldwell and Hobbs, are they on a flank or are they on the bench and they rotate in? Whereas come the end of the year, you want them to say, okay, no, these are the guys that start on the ground. And then Harry Jones. Um, we need a centre-half forward. He shows some talent, but he's got a lot of injuries to his legs. Can he come back in? And when you pick the side, it's him at centre-half forward, Peter Wright at full forward. Langers as the third tall. And that really does change the dynamic when you think about Langford, he was essentially the number one key forward. Wright came in halfway through the year, played more of a secondary role due to his shoulder. Of all of a sudden, Langford can go from being the number one to being the number three, right? Imagine what that could do for us in terms of kicking goals, but then also bringing in those small forwards, as you mentioned, because that will then crumb and bring the balls to ground. So I think Corwell with his... Pressure defensively as well as offensively. I think his best games have been when he's played on someone, beaten them, and then gone forward himself. Hobbs is just an amazing for a bloke that's twenty and played thirty-five games. Here he can win the ball, and he's he's a pure ball winner. And Jones there, I think, is going to be the ones because I think that's our real hole on our list. That centre half forward have obviously drafted Nate Caddy, so Jones I think at the moment. He's probably ahead of Wiedemann in that spot. So hopefully for his and our sake, he can really um, come on. Move on to number six. I've written down here, the team maintains an on-field performance that's described as consistent and dangerous. I think to summarise this, I'm just hoping that we, we build a bit more respect for how we play on the field. I think the reason I put the word consistent in there is because we had a really good first half of last year and I remember talking in the weekly pods that, you know, even the games that we lost, they were under four goals. You know, we were in them. We, we were competing, um, which I think was important. And then the second word, dangerous, is all the good teams that you see, you know, they're described as dangerous. You know, they could tear you apart in a 10-minute period. They can turn it on. They know when to go up a gear and all that sort of thing. And I don't think that that's something that's been associated with Essendon for a long time. We've often been referred to as, you know, easy to play against and things like that. So I think we basically just need to get some respect back um, from an on-field performance point of view. And that starts with consistency and then the rest will follow. Well, speaking of consistency, you've gone on-field, I've gone off-field there in terms of like fitness and medical. Just we'll talk about improvement and everything improving. Those departments for us really have to improve. For a long, long time now, we've had guys that have come in that have had injuries or have broken down during the year and haven't got back. It's taken them longer to get back. They've been brought back too soon. They've re-injured themselves there. So we really need to start to be getting that to the elite end of the competition. So not only do we have guys on the park, they perform, they stay in the park. We can attract other guys to come to Essendon because they know how good our performance is. They have issues. We can turn these players around. You look at Brisbane as an example. How many guys have gone to Brisbane that were injured at other clubs that they've managed to get right and now are 
performing at their best. And we all knew these players were talented. They just couldn't get it on the park. So hopefully we can bring some of that to Essendon. And I guess we talked about Harry Jones, Zach Reid, you know, Jaden Hunter, all those, Nick Cox, all went down with injuries, stress fractures to the back. Like that's, you have one or two that happens to, but when you're talking about three or four, that seems like more of a, of a structural issue in terms of how you prepare players and what's going on as opposed to, you know, and I don't think there's too many other clubs with four key position players under the age of 23 with stress fractures to, to the back there. So, yeah, hopefully that can improve. The next one I had, continuing with your off-field um, line of thought there, is that the club fosters a, a genuine culture between coaches, players, staff, board, supporters, everyone, and it creates, uh, I guess, a sense of progression and, and, and some results that are progression. So I guess this is it's very broad, obviously, this, this wish list item, but I think for a long time um, our, the culture at the club has been questioned and there's been a lot of work done on that in the past couple of years in particular to improve it. And I think it, I think it has improved, but I think there's often the perception of improved through what's marketed and the perception of what's really improved, which we may be, uh, you know, as, as supporters don't get to see on the ground as much and behind closed doors. So we want to, I guess, see that through results. So, so it's not just results on field. It's, you know, how people are, are participating and responding in press conferences, the body language that we are seeing on field, and then also, I guess, just gen- generally results, you know, the, the financial results that get released by the club, you know, how people are engaging with the club and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, w- I think we'll all know w- when the culture is at a point where it's heading in the right direction. And I think it, it has improved, but I think we've still got work to do um, if we are to become successful again in, in that aspect. Yeah, and I think on that part, you hear a lot of the when we were successful, you know, those early two thousands things. You hear the players when they talk about that period they played there. They talked about how they felt they had a real connection to the fans and how they felt that the you know when the fans cheered them on that really lifted them. And I think we all believed that at the time. And I think in in more recent times. When players have said, "Oh, when the fans get behind us, they really support us," and we can you can see that happening, but you don't you don't almost believe it because you don't feel that connection. Whereas the other ones, you, you didn't need to be said; you knew it was there. Right? Whereas now, even when someone says you don't really trust it, right? So maybe bridging bridging that gap. And I guess I've mentioned this phrase a couple of times, and I want to I want the, the players there. I think too many of them. Well, my impression as a fan is that they want to be AFL players as opposed to wanting to be Essendon footballers. And that's a weird distinction to make, but being an Essendon footballer means that you're connected to the club and you want to do well for the jumper and for the fans and everything. Whereas being an AFL player is you just want to play in a competition. You don't, it doesn't really matter that you're playing for this particular club or whatever you're doing. You just want to doing it for your own purpose, your own career. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of people in everyday life do that. But in in a sporting context, you want to feel a connection that you're doing this not only for yourself but also for us and the greater Essendon community. And I think success sort of breeds success as well. And I don't want to mention other clubs too much, obviously, you know, when trying to refer to Essendon. But if we look at recent examples of Collingwood and Richmond, those those clubs were genuinely, you know, fearful to play against when they're at their peak, and and you know the crowd is is a bit of a fortress. You know, it's loud. Everyone's behind the players. The players are behind the crowd and engage the crowd. Uh, I'm not saying you know make it, you know, 
like wrestling or something like that where, where there's that engagement. But I think just by the players being invested and being consistent, putting in good performances, I'm not saying you have to win every week because no one can, but I think if you're doing that and you're creating that, that culture and that atmosphere, the crowd will come along, they'll be loud, the turnouts will be bigger at the games, people will stay longer, the, the attendances at training and things like that will grow. You know, kids coming through school will wear Essendon jumpers on footy colours day and they'll want to be Essendon players and stuff like that, like like when we were growing up. And, um, you know, that is a bit of a snowball effect. And then, you know, going to whether it's Marvel or the G will we'll start to feel like a bit of a fortress, which we've seen in glimpses when we've been good, you know, earlier this year and stuff. But it's sort of too far, few in between. And, and when things go bad, it, it becomes, uh, I guess, people, particularly the supporters, get really you know, disengaged with the club and become really frustrated. And that's what we talk about when Essendon being a big club. In the past 20 years, Essendon's a big club. It's been about how much money we make or, you know, how many sponsors we've got. And, you know, the players that want to come because they play in an Anzac day or they play in a dream time, you know. But I, when you and I, because we've lived it, being a big club, being Essendon, it's that engagement. It's the fans. It's the passion. It's the... It's not the two hours on a Saturday. It's all throughout the week. You know, you're going to school, you're going to work. Everybody knows you're an Essence sport. I know sometimes you go to work or you meet someone, like, who do you barrack for? Oh, I didn't know you barrack for them, whatever. But when you're a big, yes, big, powerful club like we were, everybody knows it. You can, you can see it written on your face that I am an Essendon person and you're proud of it and it permeates everything that you do. So hopefully we can get back to that level. Uh, my final one here, Mark, is uh, we've talked about this a number of times. It's probably the number one topic on the podcast is uh, the combination of uh, Brian and Draper in the ruck. So Brian's 22, he's played 14 games. Draper's 25, he's played 57 games. Obviously, Draper's got uh, some groin issues at the moment there. We've brought Goldstein in as a bit of cover slash as a senior body kind of mentor of these guys. In the future... I think that's the combination. It's good age balance. And most most importantly, I think the way they play is really well. Brian is more of a centre bounce, tapper. Draper's more around the ground. I think Brian has proven in the VFL he's, he's now ready for the step up. Oh, personally, if I was coach, Brian would be my number one ruckman. Draper would be my secondary ruckman. And Draper would play forward. I think that Suits Draper's games in terms of his mobility. He can impact. He can do all the crazy stuff that he's doing. He doesn't know that he's actually doing it, but his body just does it. Right? And all the great things that come from that. I think that makes him an incredibly difficult matchup as a forward. Right? And then when he goes into the middle, the excitement that he can bring. And then it allows us to be very dangerous. You can go certain styles of Ruckman work well or work poorly against other ones. You can rotate it a bit. I think the opportunity there to have two ruckmen is a real danger in the league, and that can be one of our number one weapons. And how do you think Todd Goldstein fits into that? In the event that I think early in the year, maybe it won't be a problem because maybe Draper won't be available, you know, for the first few games or whatever it is. But if Draper's fit and Brian's fit, how do you think Goldstein fits into that well, uh, situation? I've. Looked, Goldie's the best player, and he's playing some pretty good football. So ultimately, the if he outplays these guys, the spot should be his, right? But I'm thinking more at 35 years of age on a one-year deal, he's been brought in to provide more of a mentorship role. I think that's similar to what Phillips had. I think last year, 
if everyone was fit and firing and playing at their best, Phillips probably wouldn't have played as many games that he has, right? But Phillips outplayed Brian and got the got the spot. So it's on Brian to outplay Goldstein and Draper and get, make sure he's the number one, and then what flows from there. But I think yeah, that's what. Where do you view those things? Yeah, I th- I agree with you. I think it'd be really good, beneficial for um, beneficial for. Brian, if Goldstein can mentor him particularly, I think Draper maybe needs it less but can still get something from him. Um, so I think, yeah, if we see, if we see those guys forcing Goldstein out of the side would, would be a good, uh, a good result. I think just on Goldstein, maybe going back a couple where we are talking about the culture of the club and you mentioned that, you know, wanting people to be Essendon players, not just AFL players. I think Goldstein's a good example of that. He obviously grew up playing for the club and that was what he said straight away in his interview after he got traded... Um, across to us was that you know he was really excited to play for the club that he grew up backing for so he's obviously played for that rabble at North Melbourne for a long time and um, you know still had the desire to pull on the red and black at the end of his career and, and, and tick that box for himself personally we want we want more people like that. And I think that's a really good interview to go back and I'm pro- we're probably going to go back and watch that after we do this recording in that when we got him across I understood it from that perspective of senior player come in, connection to Brad Scott at North Melbourne, it made sense. But it was really that interview where you kind of saw a bit more of his personality and he was he did mention that he was a bomber sport. He wanted to grow up. He wanted to have that connection. He'd, he'd seen it all and he's probably our age, so he's probably, we can have a similar, similar experience, right? And it's like, oh, okay, I didn't realise you had that and it made me warm to him more. So we can see more of that connection to the club and the fans and all that. I think that's a, that's a really good thing. We often talk about Dodoro having a penchant for uh, drafting people who barrack for Essendon, right? But, you know, it's some, sort, of, sort of that thing that happens at, at draft time and you don't really see anything on further from that. Whereas I'd really like to see a bit more of that, of that stuff and that'll probably make you a draw to them. Like, you know, my, one of my favourite players at the current time is Jaden Laverde and one of the things that... You know, primarily because of the way that he plays, but the fact that he grew up in Essence Board and his local boy from Keelor, and when he got drafted, the parents were wrapped that he got went to the Bombers, and like it just puts you on a position where you just want this guy to do well. So yeah, the last one that we've got here is the piece of resistance. Santa will be doing a good job if he can bring this one home. It's that Essendon wins its first final since two thousand and four. So for some context, we were flicking through a yearbook from 2000 when we won the grand final and it was only four years after that yearbook was printed that we won our last final and it's kind of hard to conceptualise that until you're actually got something in your hands and you're you're kind of putting two and two together. So I know it's much talked about and we don't need to draw all the comparisons of how long it's been and comparison to other things and timelines over history but it's been a long time and if we are to truly progress forward we've, we've got to win one. I think over the past few years, we've said, you know, we're not in a position to win one yet and, and all of that. And I think that whilst that might, you know, you could still draw those conclusions now, I think there's also got to come a time where you just say it just has to happen now. Like, it's, it's, there's no reason why it can't happen. Other clubs have done it. So, like, why not would be the question. And I think we're at a stage now with the critical mass of the players on the list is that we should be performing. We've brought in... I mentioned the past two years we've brought in at least five players in the 23 to 26 age range, right? That that had been missing from our list through uh, A, poor drafting, B, the players that we drafted were just injury-prone and 
We won't talk about several there, but I think we all know who they're talking about. They could have been superstars, but just never got off the ground. And then we awfully had the, the draft penalties from the SAG, which impacted us. But now we're at a critical mass that we've got guys in that should be performing. You know, It's not inconceivable, Mark, that the top ten and the best and fairest are, are guys that are in the ages of 23 to think, and then six or seven of them could be guys that have brought in through other clubs. And ideally, that's what you want. If you're bringing in a bloke like a Ben Mackay, you know, to play a key position role down back, if he's not finishing top ten in the best of various, that's a bit of an issue. <laughs> right? If I'm paying money to, you know, Parrish and Redmond to stay at the club, to free agency, I want you in my top ten. If Andy McGrath is out of contract or Sam Draper out of contract at the end of the year, these are senior leaders around the club. One's a vice-captain, one's probably... The, the spiritual leader and Draper, like he doesn't have an official role, but he's the one that carries everyone with him. Right? I want you finishing high up in the best and fairest because that's the impact you're having on getting the team to go well. And the more of those we have, the more you should be playing better, the more you should be winning games and winning finals. And I think we both agree, Mark, is once we win the first final, the monkey's off the back. And then the drought's over, whatever curse or voodoo or whatever's over the club is gone. Right, and then I think success will come quickly after that. It's just getting over that first hump, which is the issue for us. Yeah, I agree, and it shouldn't be it it, it shouldn't be seen as a as a big mental barrier. I know that it's lurking in the background, but the the question being asked around the club, yeah, in my opinion, should just genuinely be, you know, why not? Why why can't we do it? There's no reason why it can't be done. So, um, okay, well, that it'll be interesting to see in sort of ten months or so time. Um, how we've gone with those and what's what's maybe happened or not happened or gone the opposite way. Hopefully all of our Christmas wishes come true. Uh, with that, we'll probably sign off for the year, I guess, and uh, wish everyone a good break and we'll be back next year to uh, to, to kick into the pre-season stuff and start talking about the season proper. So hope everyone has a good break and that uh, your own Christmas wishes come true. If you've got some, send them through to the social media and um, we'll discuss them with you there. But uh, otherwise, go the Dons. Go Bombers.